Now, <clears throat> this morning, we're just going to read a uh, couple of verses, a short passage. And this passage is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Same story. And typically, the Gospels, um, they may give a, a different perspective on what had happened, a little bit of different information here or there of, of what might have occurred during Jesus' ministry or teaching. But here, every passage is pretty much the same. There might be a slight difference in wording, but they all include this, and they all include it almost exactly the same. So let's begin in verse 1. It says, Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered, answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. Now, <laughs> poor Peter, man. He gets picked on so much. And uh, such, a, such a great apostle. Uh, walked on water. That's something I've never done. So he's, he's doing something right. And it's interesting, though, that typically in these exchanges between Peter and Jesus, we have this wonderful view of how it is that we, as Christians, should live before God, which is Jesus, right? The perfection of Christ, the purity of Christ, the devotion, the full faith of Jesus, right? Doing only what he sees the Father doing. And then Peter, who looks really good, who always has something to say, always has a good idea, and they're typically not bad, but tends to just get it wrong, right? Uh, the most famous, of course, is uh, Jesus telling Peter, hey, I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to have to be delivered over, and I'm going to be crucified and killed, and I'm going to have to rise again. And Peter says, no, Lord, we won't let it happen. And Jesus turns and says, get behind me, Satan, because you're worried about the will of man not the will of God. Now, that's a paraphrase, but that's basically what he says. And you know, what Peter sound, says, uh, especially in that time, sounds good. Nobody, if they were walking with Jesus, would say, hey, we're not going to let this guy go be crucified. We're not going to let him go and be murdered, this innocent man, the son of God. But what sounds good, what looks good, does not always match up with God's will. And if Peter in that instance would have simply listened to Jesus' words, Jesus was declaring to him what God's will 
was. But so often we, being a lot like Peter, tend to gravitate towards what looks better or sounds better. And so here we see a similar, uh, a similar occasion. And I want to go through this passage. And I want to kind of break down kind of the heart of God here and the heart of man. Because just like the other occasions, we're going to see ourselves probably more in Peter in this picture than we do in Jesus. Starting back in verse 1. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. How many disciples did Jesus have? He had 12, right? He had 12 disciples that followed him. Of course, there were hundreds of others that were really following Jesus and that were there throughout his ministry, great crowds. But he typically, he had a a small group of 12. But here, when he goes up on this mountain, he's not taking 12. He takes three. He takes his inner circle, right? And it's interesting, you know, 12 is not a huge group, but it's very easy, and even just a group of 12, to lose intimacy, right? To really lose a kind of a one-on-one feel. You know, yesterday we took a group of probably 20, maybe to Lost Maples. Not a big group, not a big group. But even, even though we're walking all on this same trail together through the woods, 20 people, you, you really have to pick one or two people to kind of stick with and talk to. Otherwise, you, you kind of get lost in all the conversation. And so Jesus understands that. And so what Jesus does here is he picks three men and he brings them up on the mountain by themselves. And he invites Peter, he invites James and John into a more intimate setting with himself, right? He invites them into more intimate setting with himself. And there on this mountain, he was transfigured before him. It says that Jesus' face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them and they're talking with him. And if you've ever read the book of Daniel, in, in Daniel chapter 7, there is this depiction of the Father in the heavenly place. They call him the Ancient of Days, right? God Almighty, and he is white, and his hair is white, and he's like a shining light that fills the heavenly places, that fills the temple. And suddenly, as these men are invited into this intimate place with Jesus, Jesus reveals to them his true nature, his true nature, that he is that bright light, that he is the one clothed in white. He is the father from the beginning in flesh. And because they were willing to leave the group and come into an intimacy with Jesus, Jesus revealed to them more of his nature and they saw something that no one else got to see. So much more that Moses and Elijah were there with him, speaking to him in the spirit. And, and they got to see that Jesus was indeed exalted and greater than the men that they had grown up and heard, you know, to, to respect and to honor Moses, the picture of the law, Elijah, this, this prophet of power in the Lord. And here's Jesus greater than both of them, full of the glory of God and shining. 
And then Peter opens his mouth. And he says, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Man, I got to agree to him. I got to agree with him. If I was up on a hill and Jesus showed up shining like, a, like, a, like the sun and Moses and Elijah were there, I would say, this is a good place to be. He says, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for each of you. And then suddenly a cloud overtakes them. And that word uh, overshadowed in, in one of the other gospels, it, it says that they were enveloped in this cloud. Right? And we get this picture of that when, when the glory of God filled the temple, the temple was filled with a cloud. It was filled with smoke. right? And the glory of God envelops them. And a voice came out of the cloud at that moment as Peter was speaking and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And they were so afraid that they fell to the ground, and Jesus came and touched them, and they look up. And Jesus was the only one left. And God's message was, hear him. So the title of the message today is simple. It's listen to Jesus. Listen to him. Because Peter in one sentence, it's amazing how we can do this. In one sentence, Peter messed up three times. (laughs) In one sentence, right? He saw what was happening. He saw this amazing event that Jesus was doing. And instead of being in awe of Christ and in awe of the Father and just allowing Jesus to teach him something in that moment, and instead of being able to realize that God was taking him to this high point in his life, quite literally up on a mountain, and realize that God was just trying to teach him something, that God was trying to be intimate with him, that Jesus was trying to reveal more of himself to his friends in this moment. Peter said, oh, this is the place that we need to be. It's this mountain right here. It's this area. Man, it's good that we're here. Not, thank you, Jesus, I get to see this. Not, you truly are the Son of God. Not, Moses, Elijah, let us worship together. But, oh, man, so thankful we're here in this place here in this place. And there's something that we tend to do as Christians that can be very destructive in our, in our spiritual growth, that can hinder our walk with Jesus, that when Jesus is trying to, to use our circumstances, you might be in the valley, in a low place. You might be going through hurt and through pain. You might be going through loss. You might be on the high. You might have just got a promotion, you know, um, your best friends just got married. You're, you've got people coming to your house for Bible study. You know, you, all these things are happening and it's good. Maybe you're part of a church. You find a church and you love the way they do worship. You love the way they minister and you, you love the way they teach evangelism. There's a thousand ways to teach evangelism, but you really like their way. And suddenly you say, ah, this is the way. Oh, it's good to be here. It's good to have this system. It's good to be in this program. And we begin to idolize a place. We begin to idolize a system. We begin to to idolize, look, we have a a, a worship service here. And every Sunday you can show up and find out exactly how we're doing it. And there's nothing wrong with that per se. That's great to have order, right? God is a God of order. 
I'm really bad at it. If I'm preaching, you might as well just not pick one of these up because I apologize. I don't do it on purpose. Um, and it's okay to have order. But if we begin to say, no, this is the way we do it. This is my place. This is my plan. We begin to make an idol out of a process that was meant to teach us rather than worshiping the teacher. And the same thing can happen in a negative sense. You know, the Word of God tells us to rejoice at all times, to give thanks for all things, to know that God works all things together for the good. That includes the bad things, right? He works all things together for the good. James 1 says to count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces patience. Even in the bad times, we can look to our hurt. We can look to our anger. We can look to our depression, and we can make those things an idol. Jesus never, never called us to be stuck in depression or hopelessness. And he also never called us to be stuck in our own pride or way. The Old Testament says, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways submit to him. Right? He will bring it to pass. And so Peter, not even realizing, and it says in, a, 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 again, one of the other gospels, again, this is written three times, pretty much the same, but it says in one of them that he didn't know what he was saying. He was such an awe. He was so bewildered that, oh my gosh, here's Jesus shining like the sun before me. I... Lord, it's good. Let's, you know, uh, what do we do? Here's what I'll do. I'll build a tabernacle for you. I'll build a tabernacle for Moses. I'll build a tabernacle for Elijah. And we'll stay here and we'll worship here. And so what we tend to do is we tend to look for structures. We, We tend to look for ideas. We tend to look for programs, something that we can get comfortable in. Because, you know, if you take a path to San Antonio, there's a couple of different ways to get to San Antonio, right? I always get on I-10 every time. I just get on I-10. I ain't trying to go through the back roads. I just I-10. And I do that. Maybe there's a better way. I'm not sure. But for me, it's the way I know. There's a way to get to downtown. There's a way I know to get there. And so next time, if I just get right back on that path and right back on that road and take that right turn and that left turn, It's comfortable. I don't have to worry about doing something different. I don't have to be afraid of taking the wrong turn, right? I don't have to take the time to figure out what other stops or directions I need to go. I can just, hey, this is easy. I got it. And the nature of man is that. It's to say, hey, this is my program, this is my church, this is my way, this is my time, and this is the way we do it, and we're good. And you know what? I've, I have a system of evangelism that I teach. I have a system of discipleship that I teach, and it's a great system. But it's just a tool. And honestly, half the time, I throw it out. Because I feel the Lord saying, hey, go say this. Go pray for this person. Hey, don't address that right now. Just have this conversation. And I have to begin to listen to Jesus and day by day figure out, okay, Lord, 
what is it that you have for me? What is it that you have for these people? How, how is it that you're going to reveal yourself more to me and to others today? And that's a, that's a prayer that God answers. But I've seen it that when people, they get into something and they get something good, a good system, a good, you know, here's how we're going to go evangelize. We're going to tell the Romans road. We're going to ask this question. You know, we're going to lead them to this group. They're going to get this Bible study. And it works. And it works. And it's good. And it teaches us to be bold and to do these things until the day it stops working. Until the day where suddenly it's not fruitful. Until the day suddenly people aren't responding. And what do we typically do? Well, we just need to do it better. And so what we do is we take, we take this, this idea that something is good in and of itself, and we begin to build. We want to build up on that thing. Even churches, right? You get a good church. You get a good worship team. You get big lights and fog machines, which we don't have, but I don't want fog machines. But you see the big churches on TV. They got the fog machines, right? And they play all the elevation worship songs, and the pastor shaves the side of his head off and, uh, you know, button, unbuttons this top thing, and he preaches, and people flood in the doors. And, hey, this works. And so what do all the other churches start doing? They start buying fog machines and they start buying lights and they start playing elevation worship songs. And they want people just, to, they just want to repeat this process. And we, we want to take, look, this looks good. Let's build that. We're not building on, the problem is we're no longer building on Jesus' words. We're building on our comfort. We're building on a church format. We're building on a worship team. We're building on a pastor. Jesus says, if you build your house on my words, the one who listens and does my word, he will build his house on the rock. And when we build our life, we sang, we sang a, a song this morning called Build My Life. When we build our life on the words of Jesus, we build a house that will stand forever and that will never fall. What's interesting is Jesus never talks about that house getting finished. Right? Not till we're out of here. Jesus talks about us being living stones, building one on another to the, the temple of God, the body of Christ. He never talks about that temple being finished. And the word of God, man, we've got it recorded here to build our life on. But you know, Jesus is a living God. We don't serve a dumb and deaf idol. We serve the only living God, the one who speaks to his people, who calls us not just servants but friends. And building your life on the word of God doesn't just mean having the right answers and going to Bible study. It means listening for his word in your heart day by day. That when Peter preached the gospel, he says the promise to you is of the Holy Spirit who will be for you, for your family, and for all those who God calls. And the Holy Spirit comes inside us to give us that intimacy so we can hear the voice of the Lord and we can obey him. And I guarantee you, if you begin to cry out for the Lord to speak to you and ask him what he would have you do with your day, with your time, with your family, with your finances, you're going to hear him speak to you. You're going to feel him pull your heart. 
And I guarantee you're going to have to give up some of those comfortable systems that you've built for your daily routine, for the way you have church. You're going to have to grow in what you think prayer means. It's going to have to change. doesn't mean that what, the way you pray is wrong, but it means we serve an infinite God and there's always more to learn. It means you're going to have to, to learn more about what does it mean to be one with the body, to be one with the spirit. That what does it mean that the word of God is alive and active? That he's going to challenge you and he's going to push you and he's going to mold you. See, Peter messed up when he said, hey, this place is where it really happens. So we're just going to take this place and we're going to build. And finally, he took these men that he saw, Elijah and Moses, these honorable men from the Old Testament, And he said, I'm going to make a tabernacle. The same tabernacle I'm going to make for Jesus, I'm going to make for them. Ouch. Ouch. And he elevated these men, good men, good teachers, good prophets. And he elevated them to the place of Christ. And that was his third mistake. And at that moment, the father had enough. And he enveloped them and said, no, 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 no. Let me tell you what you're going to do. This place that you think is so good, these things that you're going to build, these men you're going to honor, how about we scratch that out? How about you just do this? You see my beloved son right here? Listen to him. And when the cloud departed, the only one that was left, the only one to look at, as the subject of God saying, my beloved son was Jesus. Was Jesus. <clears throat> we have a college ministry, you know, and um, this, this semester we're doing it differently than we ever, we've ever done it. And we're doing it differently because myself and the other, the other leader, Randall, we were together in prayer. And he felt a message and I felt a way we could put that message into play. And God began to lead, lead a format, lead a system, actually. We had a, basically a six to eight week system of here's how we're going to do it. Here's the messages we're going to do. Here's how we're going to lead. And it's been great. It's been fruitful. It's been powerful. And this last week was spring break, so there was no school. And now, we have a temptation. Now we have one of two options in our life. Now we're going back into school and we can say, hey, well, that system really worked. We'll just do it again. Or, or we can go back before the Lord and say, Jesus, what would you like me to do now? Jesus took these men up on the hill to bring them into intimacy and to teach them something about who he was through this moment. Jesus did not bring them to a place for them to realize, oh, this is the place, this is the time, this is the way. No, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. And God puts us through times and seasons. He puts us through trials. He puts us through victories. But then there's one command the next day, every day when you wake up, there's one command that God has for you. And it's to look upon Jesus, realize he's the beloved son, and to hear God when he says, listen to him. 
Listen to him. Because your pastor, your church, your ways, your plans, they're not Christ. But when we allow Jesus to speak to us and to minister to us, when we realize that all these things are helpful, but they're not the goal, they're not the prize, then we begin to see Christ as he is, and we begin to understand that he's calling us into an intimacy just to know him more, just to hear him more. And day by day, if we allow ourselves to, we can go before Jesus and we can honor that command from God to simply listen to his voice. And he will lead you. And then your life will be enriched. Then you will see his promises. Then the faith of your family will grow. Then your joy will increase. Then the power of God will break off the bondage in your life when you listen to him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this morning, Lord. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here before me, and I thank you for your word, Lord. And uh, Lord, (laughs) you made the seasons, Father, and the seasons change. And I believe you made those seasons as a picture of what happens in our life, the way you work in our hearts and in our communities, Lord, that you, you put us through different seasons. And for every season, there's a way to be faithful. And for every, every time, every purpose, every place, Lord, there's something you're trying to do. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would teach us to humble ourselves before you and to hear you out on what it is you have for us in our life. What does it look like for me to love my family, to love the lost? What does it look like for me to honor your great commission to make disciples, Lord? What does that look like for me? Father, show me, teach me again what worship really is, Father God, and not what we make it out to be. Lord, just as you led these three into an intimate place where you revealed yourself to them in a new way, I pray that for us here today, that you would lead us into intimacy so that we could see you in a new way. So, Father God, whatever idols we have in our hearts, whatever, whatever places of comfort that keep us locked and chained so that we do not answer the call, so that we don't go boldly out before you to do your will, I pray that you would tear those down and that you'd reveal them to us, that we could have joy in you and you alone, Father, because you are the only one who satisfies my soul. And we thank you, Jesus. We ask for your blessing. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.